Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, Nancy and I had a great time in Florida. Uh, two weeks there is our first vacation in over two years, and uh, we really enjoyed ourselves. And we were looking at our schedules, you know, and um, Nancy's uh, works as a therapist, so we're, we're trying to arrange our schedules. And, and we looked at our calendars and said, oh, these... These two weeks are perfect. We, we can't really do it before then and afterward. You know, we've got the baptism and Easter. It just wouldn't work. But we forgot one small detail. Spring break. <laughs> and uh, it, it was a crazy time. And, uh, but we, we, we really enjoyed ourselves. We, I, uh, Nancy took me out to the tennis courts. I haven't played tennis really since high school. And she schooled me, so it really helped, you know, help build our relationship, help build humility on my part. Um, and uh, I, I honestly ate too much pizza and Cheez-Its. I, I, took, I came back and took my blood pressure, and I was like, oh, my goodness, the salt is, is going to kill me. Um, and we had uh, just wonderful uh, conversations with... Uh, uh, the young people that were staying in, in our hotel. Um, i just give you two of them shortly. It was about 2.30 in the morning, and I, I called down to the front desk. I said, this is room 1114, and we have quite the circus going on here. And uh, the guy laughed, and he says, oh, we'll have security right up there. And perhaps one other, one other story is uh, the... The elevator's closing, and, and you know if you're in a hotel that's really has 100%, 150% occupancy, uh, you know, this arm gets thrust into as the elevator doors are closing, and this young gal, 21, 22-year-old gal, goes, I made it, I made it. And, uh, and she goes, she just looked flustered, and she goes, she started, like, yelling, come on, come on, come on. And in comes to the elevator this portly old guy, and she looks at Nancy and I, and she goes, I, I don't know what to do with him. He thinks he's 22. He's not 22. He's my father. And I, so, so we had probably 75 different conversations with, um, with young people, and uh, it, it was really sweet. It was very sweet. So... so uh, when, I, when we were there, we got to watch um, both Sunday services live stream, um, and uh, it was great to see Jared and Malcolm come and teach and have you guys get a chance to get a taste of what's happening up in Manchester. Uh, Jared and Malcolm are, are two of four people that are teaching up in Manchester, uh, the other two are Diodane. He's about 58. He's a very young guy. And, um, and Lahome, who's about... I, I, do you know how old Lahome is? He's 24, 25, something like that. But anyway, they're, they're, there's four guys teaching up, at, up in Manchester, and, and I'm trying to figure out a way to have uh, Lahome and, and um, Diodane come down uh, and, and teach. That, that would be quite an experience. Uh, for you, so I was really glad to see, um, you know, what was happening here, and and that you really were in good hands, and so, um, so it's good to be back. This morning, 
we're going to do a somewhat an unusual thing for us. We're going to do a, a topical teaching. And the topic uh, this morning is on, on baptism. And so before we get to uh, the teaching, let me give you where we're going to go. So uh, we're going to use a, a, a PowerPoint for maybe 10 minutes. And then let me give you three texts that you can you know, find your place now so that you can follow along when we get to the verse-by-verse uh, component of the teaching. So if you have your Bibles, find where Acts chapter 8 is. And Acts chapter 8 is going to give us two accounts of baptism. One is going to illustrate that uh, baptism does not save the that that baptism flows out of regeneration. And we're going to see that illustrated in the account of uh, Simon uh, the Magician. That Dr. Luke is going to follow with another example of baptism, and that's going to be the Ethiopian eunuch. And what we're going to discover in the Ethiopian eunuch is that what we have is true regeneration results in a passion and a joy uh, that comes from having experienced uh, spiritual regeneration uh, from the grace of Jesus Christ drawing the Ethiopian eunuch through the word of God. And we see Philip coming on. And almost, if we could describe Philip, we could say that his job was just to be a midwife, to, to, to facilitate what God was already doing in the Ethiopian eunuch's life. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to go very briefly to Romans chapter 6, and then, and then once again, very briefly, to Galatians chapter 3. And so let's pray, then we'll begin our teaching, and we just want to encourage ourselves with the Word of God and, and give our hearts to Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you this morning for gathering us together. We thank you for the Word of God. We pray, Lord, that uh, uh, you'd help us understand what you would have for us today, and you would give us the grace to step into what you're doing in our hearts through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you the, the ending of the teaching right up front. And, and the, where we're going to end up is this simple truth, is that, is that baptism is a response to the grace of God in our life. That when we uh, come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he, he changes our, our heart and our life from the inside out. And so that our disposition is to respond to Christ because we've been rescued and we belong to him, that he is our Savior. And so back in the day, back in a land far, far away in a distant past, uh, I was... Uh, uh, it was a security police guy in the Air Force. And I had spent some time, 54 weeks to the day, five hours, <laughs> 23 minutes, and 30 seconds, give or take a second or two, on top of a mountain in Kurdistan. And God was drawing me, working in my heart. I began uh, reading uh, the Bible from a little Gideon's Bible that I stole 
and, and God was working in my heart. And so when I came back to Stateside, started visiting different churches, and I ended up with a roommate who said to me, um, hey, would you like to go to Fisherman's House tonight? Well, I thought he was bringing me to a seafood restaurant, which I was all for, and it ended up being this coffee house that was run by young people. And my response to their worship and my response to the preaching of God's word was this, whatever they have, I want. And that, of course, shocked my, my, my new room dog, Richarita. And um, at 15 past midnight, he led me in the sinner's prayer, and God transformed my life, forgave me of my sins, and made me a new creation in Christ. I began going to church immediately that day, and uh, the church was having a baptism. And you know this, no one needed to tell me I needed to be baptized. Now we know it, it's the it's a command. We know that there's two ordinances in the church. There's the Lord's table and there's baptism. But no one needed to tell me that I needed to be baptized. Why was that so? Because I knew that I belonged to Jesus. I knew it. I knew that I had been forgiven, cleansed, set free, and I belonged to him, that he had rescued me, that while, Romans 5, 8, while I was dead, in my trespasses and sin, while I was yet powerless, he died and he sent his spirit to woo and draw me to saving faith in Christ. And that is the end of the teaching. That we respond to baptism. We respond, yes, it is a command, but the heart that has been rescued by Christ belongs to Christ and wants to be identified with him. Why is that important? Because many of us have, have children. We have grandchildren. We're aunts and uncles. And, you know, and sometimes we can approach our children. Where, you must be baptized. And it is a command. But, but it's deeper than that. It's the heart. Is the question to ask is, do you belong to Christ? Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Has Christ come into your heart and transformed your heart and life? And if so, do you belong to him? In a sense, not it's a little crass, but who's your daddy? Right? Who do you belong to? And if we belong to Christ and he's rescued our heart, then we want to be identified with him. And so what fuels baptism is, is not an outward expression, but it flows out of a heart that has been changed and transformed by Jesus Christ himself. We're going to look at this outline here, and we're going to put it in the context of our culture and talking about baptism. We're going to try to ask four questions. What is the meaning of baptism? Who are the subjects of baptism? What's the mode? And what do the scriptures teach? And we'll do that quickly. All these notes are available to you off of our website. There's three views of baptism that we deal with in our culture here in New England. The first one is sacramentalism. The second one is Reformed or Presbyterian. And the third one is believer's baptism. Each one of these things has a particular focus. The first two, sacramentalism and Reformed or Presbyterian view of baptism, flows out of 
really approaching the text and reading into it rather than letting the text speak to us. One approach is eisegesis, where we take our, our maybe our church tradition or take our understanding and project them onto the scriptures rather than letting the scriptures do what? Speak to us. So we want the scriptures to speak to us, but I think it's helpful to kind of outline these three areas. And of course, here at Calvary Chapel, uh, being of the Anabaptist tradition, we're going to fall where? We're fall on believers' baptism. We're going to let the Bible speak to us. So the first one, sacramentalism, is that the approach is this, or the theology is this, is that baptism imparts saving grace. Baptism, the result of it is the remission of sins. That uh, in Roman Catholicism, where I grew up, is you take the child and you present him to the priest and he does his little thing. And, and out of that, they say that you have experienced salvation, baptismal regeneration. Lutheran is a little different. The saving faith is present and the parent transferred to the child. The problem with that is that the scriptures don't, don't teach that at all. That when G, the text that they use is children being brought to Jesus, but that doesn't support uh, baptismal regeneration, the text in Mark chapter 10, 13 through 16. That text supports, if, if anything, that Jesus is approachable and that we, we dedicate children to the Lord and, at, at, and lead them along life's paths till they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then they get baptized. A lot of times that sacramental, sacramentalism appeals to Acts 11.14, that they were, the whole households were baptized. The problem with that is that they're reading into the text because no children are mentioned in the text. It's all adults. And, and thirdly, they appeal to Nicodemus that... But the problem with that, again, is they're reading into the text that the water that John is talking about or Jesus is talking about that John record, records is, is when an infant is, is a, has a birth and, and comes out of the birth canal. And so there's no biblical basis for it, none at all. When we look at Reformed or Presbyterian or Covenantal theology, the, the appeal is that in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. But when we look at Romans chapter 2, or the, the appeal is to circumcision and that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of being a child of God. The problem with that is when we get to Romans chapter 2, what does Paul say that the New Testament uh, idea of circumcision, what does Paul say? That is circumcision not of the flesh, but of the heart. It's the heart that's changed. And so, again, you have this, this, this view uh, that of reading into the text at, rather than letting the text speak to us. At best, these things are, are just simply a man's desire to get an outcome by reading their opinion into the text. At worst, they're a doctrine of demons. At worst. Because why? Because they keep people from, from, from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They bring 
a false doctrine, a false teaching in the heart of man says, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't need this. I don't need this. It's too religious. Rather than, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I do, I do need Jesus. You know, in my upbringing, you know, I've been to many funerals in, in, uh, in the church of my childhood, many, many funerals. And you, you have the priest there, and you have the casket, and you have a candle at the head of the casket, which is the same candle that they use at baptism, they use for funerals. And what they say is regardless of the way the person lived their life, regardless if they never testified to, the, to saving grace in Christ, regardless of what, however they lived their life, they say because the person was baptized, that candle symbolized, and they're in the presence of God. It's a doctrine of demons. Because it keeps people from understanding that we're saved by grace, not by works. And everything in a man or woman's heart wants to justify themselves before God. And the only justification that we have before God is because the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ and our, our faith and trust in him and receiving him as Lord and Savior. And so we, we arrive at believer's baptism. To baptize is baptizo. It, it is to immerse or submerge in water. It's commanded and modeled by Christ. It's an outward symbol of our union with Christ. It's an outward symbol of the new birth. So I'm done with the PowerPoint. There's much more there. You're welcome to it. But let's drill down and Come with me to Acts chapter 8. And what we're going to observe in Acts chapter 8 is, is two baptisms. And what we're going to be able to take away from this is to affirm our belief in that baptism is, is a result of a changed heart. It's a result of regeneration and baptism in and of itself, the act of baptism, does not produce spiritual regeneration in Christ. So we come to Acts chapter 8. Let's look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word of God. So after Stephen was stoned to death, the church was scattered. And they began to preach the word of God. And one of those that we have in the account here is Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, Philip's one of those seven that were chosen to deal and to serve in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. He was chosen to care for the Greek-speaking widows of the day. And so he was pronounced as a deacon, and, um, and he goes about preaching the word of God in Samaria of all places. Now, you, we've, been, we've been studying the Gospel of John, so you know Samaria in 721, 722, the Assyrians came into the northern tribe and wiped them out and took them away to captivity and replanted uh, that whole area with all kinds of different people, people that were not uh, following after the, the Lord God Almighty, and the Jews despised them, but Jesus loved them. We saw in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus Jesus loved this woman. And this woman went out, went out and told, told 
her whole village, all that God had, all that Jesus had told her about herself. And we see this great revival happen. It stands in contrast to, say, the, even the disciples' view in Luke 9, 51, 52, the sons of thunder, what did they want to do to the Samaritans? Oh, call down fire. <laughs> Jesus had nothing to do with those boys. Those boys had troubles. Anybody that wants to be like the 12 apostles, you got, you got, you got a long road cut out for you. Because they, they were always getting things wrong. But Philip got it right. He went to Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ, the Messiah. And that produced a great harvest of souls to the point that there was much joy in the land. And we come to verse 9, where there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic. We're in, we're in Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Now note his heart. Note his heart. Saying that he himself was such a great man. Because now we're getting a glimpse of one of the first baptisms. They all paid, the people all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest saying... This man is the power of God that is called great. You say, where did I get that translation? Well, you know, I was listening to the audio Bible, you know, the, anim what do they call it? The animated? What do they call it? No, dramatized. Thank you. Who said that? Oh, that's good. The dramatized version. You know, and, you know, I do my research and I do my study and I do my notes, but then I listen to the word of God. Because sometimes you miss things. And he thought he was the greatest thing. Verse 11, the people all paid attention to. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news. So all the peeps believed in Philip. And Simon the magician is watching this happen. And he gets on the, he gets on the bandwagon, the baptism bandwagon. They were baptized, both men, even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. Even the magician was amazed. And now if the text ended there, we just have to say, well, that's what happened. But Peter and John came. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Now the apostles had the keys to the kingdom, Matthew 16, 19. Translation, they had discernment to know what was right and what was wrong. And what Peter does is he shows us that the act of baptism in and of itself does not produce a changed heart. That a changed heart is done by the work of grace through the agent of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so we have a situation here where there's signs and wonders. We have a magi magician that has believed, confessed Christ outwardly, but his heart was unchanged. And Peter 
is going to call him on it. Come to the text. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon the magician said, Woohoo! I want that power. I want that power. If you want to know what happened, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12 and read about the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And it captivated Simon's heart because, because now he could maintain power, control, and authority over the people, which is what Peter calls him on. Come back to the text with me. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, the sin of simony, paying to get religious position and power and authority over people's lives. And he said, oh, God, I, I can buy it. I can bottle it. Just like out, you know, during the Western migration, he had these people come out and sell snake, snake oil, right? Miracle working oil. Just like in today's day, we got a group that's uh, perpetuating baptismal regeneration across the United States right now called the Last Reformation. And the Last Reformation teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation, which is hooey. That's a Greek word. It means dung. And I can't go any farther because it's Sunday morning. That signs and wonders, oh, that that becomes the focus. And Peter, well, we'll let Peter speak for himself. Verse 19, saying, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish. The word choice here is may your Silver, may your money go to destruction. In a crass way, we could say that Peter said, may your money and you go to hell. That's what Peter said to him. Now that offends our sensibilities, but that is what demonstrates, illustrates that just the act of baptism does not change the heart. And then Peter displays grace to this guy. Peter says to him, you, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your what? Your, for your what? Heart is not changed. Your heart is not for God. And so Peter says this to him, repent. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond in slavery of what? Sin. Is a believer enslaved to sin? No. The believer has been set free from sin. Can a, does a believer sin from time to time? Yes, they do. And we have a remedy for that. It's called 1 John 1.9. If we sin, 
we, we have an advocate. We go to him. He forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. A little before that, it says, if you, don't, if you say you have no sin, you call God a liar and the truth is not in you. And so we see Peter calling him to repentance. And what does Simon do? Simon, Simon doesn't respond to the repentance. He says, oh, pray for me. That nothing that you have said have been true. And there's no repentance on his part. Now, church history tells us that Simon went on to be one of the grossest false teachers in the early church. And yet he was baptized. Baptism does not produce spiritual regeneration. It is the grace and work of the Holy Spirit that produces regeneration. It is, and, and we respond to the work of God in our life by saying, Oh, I belong to you, Jesus. I'm yours. And I want to tell the world that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and soon coming King. That's what baptism's about. Now we see in the next account, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went. Stop there for a minute and think about that. Philip's experiencing this amazing revival in the Samaritan. Amazing revival. People are coming to Christ. Hundreds, hundreds and thousands of people are coming to Christ. And God says to Philip, enough of that. I want you to go over here. Can you, like I put myself in that position. Can you imagine, let's say you're a pastor of a church and your church has grown to like 1,000, 2,000 people. And God says to you, enough of this. Enough of this. I, I want you to go up to Lowell and plant a church. What? I would say, I must not have heard God. The, the, the contrast here is going to be a contrast between power, position, and control in someone's heart that's touched by the grace of God. That's the difference. Philip. Matter of fact, Philip, in the New Testament, Acts 21.8, in the New Testament, ready for this? Philip is the only person in the New Testament that has the title, the evangelist. The only person. Why? Because he's totally available. Totally sold out to God. Come back to the text. And 27... And Philip arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This, this is where Queen Sheba came from. Who was in he was in charge of all her treasure, all of her treasure. So if you do a parallel account, take a piece of paper and fold it in two. One, one half you put the magician, Simon the Believer, the other half you put the Ethiopian eunuch. They were both powerful wealthy and influential men. But one had a heart that was hard and seeking money and thinking that ministry would produce that. That is the modus operandi of a false teacher. If you go to Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll see that those two things are connected. 
the last Reformation thing that's sweeping across the country, those are connected. Is that people are being exploited for money so that one man or a group of men can live lavish lifestyles. Why do we buy into that? Why do we entertain that type of foolishness? Is because in our hearts, there's a desire for what? Power, position, authority, prominence. Signs and wonders. Rather than what? Jesus Christ, who considered his standing with God something not to be held, but, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, giving up his life on the cross for you and I. That's the model of ministry. Philip, leaving the multitudes in the, in the outpouring of God's spirit to go to minister to one man in the desert. Would you do that? We'll make it more personal. Would I do that? That's uncomfortable. Would I respond to that? That's the point of transformation. That's the point where the heart gets exposed. Back to the text. And he rose and went in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was one of those God-fearers. One of those people that they, he was seeking, the true and living God. And he come to the court of the Gentiles, where, where it was a place of what? Evangelism. And God is speaking to him. Come back to the text with me. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his, this chariot. So Philip did what? Well, Lord, what are you talking about? You know, I don't really, you know. Eh, eh, eh. And so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, parallel text, Romans 10, 8 through 17. And he said, how can I unless someone guide me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the passage he was reading was out of Isaiah chapter 53. And out of that place of showing the suffering servant, the Ethiopian unit asked, well, who is it? And Philip, starting with Isaiah 53, goes on and, and explains to him the gospel. The guy is converted. They, they, Philip's enjoying the chariot ride. And the Ethiopian unit, because Philip had expressed all the gospel, believe and repent and be baptized, the Ethiopian eunuch's passing some water. He says, hey, this is as good as time as any to get baptized. And Philip does what? Come back to the text. Verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he did what? Bap baptizo. Submersion. Baptized him. And when the eunuch came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on, with his, went on his way rejoicing because his heart had been converted and he gave witness to that. The last thing you can note here is this amazing thing with Philip. All of a sudden, boom. Like I was, I was, I was like getting gas like yesterday morning. I'm like, Lord, you know, I love you, Lord. Huh? Like, 
I'm one of your men, you know. I'm sold out to you, so how about a little transportation? <laughs> Come with me to Romans 6. Three verses. Verse 3. Verse 4, verse 5. So when we come to baptism, Romans chapter 6, we belong to the Lord. And so when we're baptized, we say, I belong to the Lord, and I believe in his, verse 3, his what? His death. Verse 4, I believe in his burial. Don't get ahead of me there. And when we come up out of the water, I believe in. And because he lives, amen. Last, last text. Come with me to Galatians chapter 3. For as many of you, oh, Galatians 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there's neither Jew nor Greek slave, nor free, male, or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, offspring, heirs according to the promise. It's because of belief in Jesus Christ that we belong to him, that we are his. And baptism is a way of expressing that simple truth, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He has forgiven all of my sins. And because he has rescued me, my heart rejoices and is full, and I choose to identify with him through the act of baptism because he has, he has forgiven my sins, and because he lives, I live. And so, believer, Christian, I would say to you, do you belong to Christ? Not to be crazy about this, but who's your daddy? Do you belong to him? Have you been baptized? You know it's a command. But I'm not going to press that with you. I'm going to say, where do your affections lie? Where do the affections of your heart lie? Because if you nurture the affections of your heart, you'll want to be baptized. There's a lot of commands in the Bible, and Pastors and preachers, they, they, they love jumping on those commands. You to love one another. Filthy dogs, no. To love one another. But that flows out of what? John 15. It flows out of intimacy. Flows out of abiding with him. Flows out of practicing the simple spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and meditation on the word of God flows out of fellowship with one another. That God uses those simple, ordinary things to shape and mold our hearts so that we become passionate and our affections are only satisfied. Hear me now. Our affections are only satisfied when they're satisfied in Christ. And when the affections of our heart are satisfied in Christ, then we have the capacity to love one another and we have the desire to be identified with Christ as baptism offers us. We belong to him. He has rescued us, and we are his children. Amen?
We're going to ask Susie to come. She's going to provide a little segue and a little time to reflect uh, as we do the second ordinance of the Lord's table. Lord, grace has touched our hearts.